Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Yeah, so last week we talked about uh, how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which means he's the Son of God, and how he was born of the Virgin Mary, which means he's fully human, and how both of those things together are in perfect union in the second person of the Trinity. Uh, We actually started last week talking about the humiliation, what's called the humiliation of Jesus. Um, Tonight we're in the second stage, if you will, of his humiliation. And I want us to be reminded, we're going to be talking about some pretty um, somber stuff. Uh, You know, like on Good Friday, uh, we're reminded of the death of Jesus. It might feel kind of like a Good Friday service if last week was kind of like a Christmas service. This is sort of like a Good Friday kind of thing because we're talking about the death and resurrection of Christ through this um, clause in the Apostles' Creed. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Other than God and Mary, the only other person mentioned in the Apostles' Creed is this man, Pontius Pilate, and he has a, a very special Um, role to play in this whole story, as we will see. I want you guys to understand, though, like, this is not um, applied to Scripture. Uh, It's derived from it. So that I just talked about humiliation. Uh, This comes from this Christ hymn. I'm not going to read every word of this, but um, this basically, it was this ancient, probably a hymn that started being passed around that people memorized And it's in Philippians. Paul puts it in his letter to the Philippian church. And it talks about um, these things that we've been saying. Like, Jesus was equal with God. Um, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Meaning he did not, he, he denied himself the privileges of being part of the Godhead. And he came to earth. So we talked about the, the conception and being born of the Virgin Mary. He came to earth. And we talked about even his humanity, how he suffered, and he knew what it was like to be tempted. He took the form of a servant, it says, and he was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we're talking about the humiliation, the humbling of Jesus. But because we are after the resurrection, we are Christians, and we can, uh, in the same vein, Talk about Jesus' humiliation and his exaltation. Don't forget that Jesus resurrected from the dead. There's some really sad parts of what we're going to be talking about. But don't forget he overcame death. So there's the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. And we get that from scripture. I want to cover three things tonight. We're talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross kind of encompasses his trial, his suffering, and his death, his burial, uh, his descent into hell, which we'll explain that. The The cross of Jesus Christ is a horrible, ugly truth. There's no getting around it um, in its um, horrific nature. Yet in it, we see a wonderful and beautiful purpose. There's a reason why Jesus died and died on the cross. And through all of this, we begin to learn what it's like 
as a Christian to live a cross-carrying life. We're going to talk about each one of these um, in detail. Let's start off with this horrible, ugly truth, this horrific event that happened in history. This historian named Josephus in 75 AD talked about the Roman practice of crucifixion. Uh, he's recounting how these, uh, these Jews were, were um, a part of this war. It's, his book is called The Judean War. It says they were first whipped and then tormented with all sorts of tortures before they died, and then they were crucified before the wall of the city. Uh, this was a common form of execution in Roman times. And the fact that it's common should not take away from how horrible it was. Um, it involved... Uh, torture before the actual execution. And one of the important things of it, it says that before the wall of the city. That means that every single person in the city, whenever they walked by this wall or this place where uh, the Romans crucified these people, they could see them. They could identify who they were. So there wasn't just the physical execution. There was also the, 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 the shame the, the public humiliation that came from these. Um, the crucifixion is a horrible event. It happened to several people in history. It happened to Jesus. Um, the torments, uh, the whippings, the, the, the tortures, the mocking, the beatings that Jesus endured, it appears that it put him into what's called hypovolemic shock. And that happens when your body has lost over 20% of its blood or fluid supply. And we know this because um, after being up all night in this, um, in, this, uh, in this trial and then suffering these beatings and suffering this mocking, he was asked to carry a heavy member of the cross that he was going to be crucified on. And it said that he couldn't carry it. Uh, they had to give that to someone else. And this man named Simon of Cyrene carried it the rest of the way. It's likely that at that point, he kind of went into that shock. He couldn't take it anymore. He had lost so much blood, uh, probably become so dehydrated uh, that his body went into shock. And the crucifixion itself, as you probably know, involves nailing through wrists, most likely, and feet to a wooden cross where you're suspended but the way the person dies is they usually can't breathe, and so they have to lift themselves up or push themselves up. And so they end up dying this slow, torturous asphyxiation death. And all the while, people are there watching. Now, why would Jesus be killed like this? Why was Jesus in particular killed like this? Why would Jesus, the son of God, be killed this way? Wasn't he just this amazing prophet that everybody wanted to be around, everybody wanted to, to listen to? Uh, back before Jesus came to earth, there was this man named Socrates. And as, as you probably learned a long, long time ago, uh, maybe in elementary school or middle school, he was a threat and a menace to society. Uh, it's, it says that he was um, a corrupter of the Athenian youth. And this Greek society 
disliked his teaching so much. It, it was a political threat to the political leaders that uh, famously he drank hemlock and was killed. Uh, he died from the poison hemlock in 399 BC. Now, Jesus um, did have in some way a political threat to the people of the day, but as we'll see in what we're about to read uh, in Matthew, it wasn't actually as much of a political threat as Socrates and maybe as anyone might consider. Uh, He wasn't there to stir up a rebellion. He wasn't there to take the throne. He wasn't there uh, to, to lift up his sword against the oppressors of the Jews. Now, the reason Jesus was killed was actually primarily religious reasons. He called himself the king of the Jews, yes, but these religious reasons, the fact that he called himself the son of God, the fact that uh, when people asked him these questions in this trial, he responded with the two words, I am, meant that he was saying that he was God. Uh, He was Yahweh. And this outraged the religious leaders of the day. If you yourself still kind of ask that question, why was Jesus crucified? There was a man named Pilate uh, who we saw the the sculpture of earlier. Um, He was the governor of this area in Rome where Jerusalem was. And he also asked that question, why? Also asked the question, why? Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Barabbas later on. So I'm going to kind of skim and paraphrase through some of this. Um, after Jesus went under, underwent this trial with the religious leaders, the leaders of the Jewish people, uh, he was taken to the Roman government, uh, the governor, to be tried. And Pilate, it says, he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. At least that's the way he interpreted that. And so he decided he was going to uh, release either Barabbas, this criminal, or Jesus, who is called Christ. And furthermore, his, his wife had had this dream about Jesus. She said, have nothing to do with that righteous man, uh, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So uh, Pilate's wife tells him this. I've dreamed about him, and he is a righteous man. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd and asked for Barabbas, and they wanted to destroy Jesus. And he asked him again. He wasn't sure. Are you sure? And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do uh, with Jesus who was called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather the riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Uh, See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood on us and on our children. Then he released them released, uh, them to Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. The religious leaders and the people who were there alike all united in their hatred 
Uh, it wasn't just the religious readers, leaders that cried out, crucify him. It was everyone cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And even Pilate, who was an unrighteous man, knew that this man was innocent. The Jewish leaders knew that if they took him to the Romans and said, he is trying to uh, create an uprising, he's calling himself the king of the Jews, that they could uh, see to it that Jesus would be crucified. In other words, receive the harshest punishment that anyone could have at that time. All of this is to show how horrible this is. An innocent man is executed. An innocent man is executed. That's horrible no matter what time you're in, no matter where you are. It's, it's terrible. We should grieve that. But here is the most innocent man that ever walked the face of the earth. And he is executed. He is crucified. Now this is terrible. This is horrible. It gets worse. Um, there's, there's a story I just want to share from this theologian um, named Ralph Wood. I'll get to that later. I'll, I'll turn back to this. Um, so in Germany, um, as you know, there are a lot of concentration camps uh, there's one in particular called Dachau, and it's open to the public for uh, touring, and you can see um, all of the, uh, it, it, if they're not restored, they're actually the original uh, places where uh, many, many Jews were executed. And he was in a train on the way to, with his family to uh, see Dachau, and it was the weekend of the NCAA basketball tournament. And a bunch of college students were in the same train car as uh, this man, Ralph. And he said it felt more like a McDonald's or a Wendy's right before a basketball game because they were just like roughhousing. Maybe there's some drinking. You know, there's just a lot of noise they were causing. They were hanging out. This is all pre-COVID, obviously. Um, but when they arrive at Dachau and they get off the train and they enter the camp through the gate... Um, and there's this sign over the gate that says, Arbit Mach Free, work sets you free. And it's this ominous, eerie thing. And uh, sure enough, an eerie silence fell over even these college students. And he says this, As we walked through the dormitories and past the crematoria, no one clucked confidently about the terrible thing that the Germans had done to the Jews. We all seem to sense in a subterranean and unconfessed way that we also could commit such unspeakable crimes. I had no desire to shout, they did this, but rather, we did this. We human beings who also killed the ultimate Jew named Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus die on the cross? In Isaiah 53, it says he was pierced. The nails of the cross pierced him for our transgressions. He was crushed, the weight, the wrath of God for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We did this. Um, It was your sin that nailed Jesus to that tree. It was my sin that nailed him to that tree. And this also is a horrible, ugly truth and one that we should not shy away from. If you've never had an encounter with the cross and why it had to happen, I would encourage you to consider these words in Isaiah. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But the cross of Jesus Christ, it's not only a horrible and ugly truth, but in it we see a wonderful and beautiful purpose. There's a purpose in all of it. Long ago, before uh, the foundation of the world, Jesus made a covenant with the Father to redeem his people from the curse of sin and the punishment of hell. In his suffering and death, Jesus was taking on the punishment for sin on our behalf, redeeming us. This was all a part of his plan. Now, how did he do this? He bore God's wrath willingly on our behalf. I want you to pay attention to uh, these words from, from Isaiah 53 once again. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Now, who is the lamb? The lamb is Jesus. Like a sheep that before its shears is silent. Uh, in, 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 uh, uh, so he opened not his mouth. Who is that sheep? That's Jesus. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. Sorry, let me skip ahead. And he shall divide spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. Now, if you notice, how can both of these things be true? He was like a lamb led to slaughter which kind of indicates that he's passive in this. And it's the will of the Lord to crush him, the Lord, meaning God, because he poured out his soul to death. How can this all be true? The Trinity explains it. Jesus is the lamb who willingly poured out his soul to death. I think this is a really hard truth to understand. There's a a woman who's actually British, and she lives in Cambridge. If I had to cut out the background, but you can see the Boston skyline in the back. Her name is Rebecca McLaughlin. She has this great book named Confronting Christianity. I would highly recommend it. And she has a chapter at the back of the book that says this. Jesus is not the passive victim of God's wrath. He is God himself. Thus, on the cross, Jesus is both executioner and condemned. People sometimes associate God the Father with the Old Testament, seeing him as angry and vengeful, and God the Son, Jesus, with the New Testament, preaching love and mercy and forgiveness. The wrath of God is the wrath of Jesus, the Lamb. On the cross, the one perfectly innocent man who ever lived faced the full force of God's judgment, drank it down, and threw away the cup. In biblical shorthand, he went to hell. 
Though we shouted crucify, we are allowed to go free. An innocent man is executed, even though we were the ones who deserved to be executed. And that man, Jesus, went to the cross willingly. This should radically change our lives. Um, But before we get to that, um, let me tell you a little bit more about what this means. It means that we are Barabbas. Um, I'm sure uh, Tim Keller and several other theologians have pointed this out, that, that we are the ones who are not innocent. We are guilty. Barabbas was this criminal uh, who was guilty by the courts of the Roman law and by moral law of God, and he went free. And who went in his place? Jesus. He was delivered to be crucified. So what this means is we don't get what we deserve, and Jesus gets what we deserve. And, and what this should do is it, it's, it sets us free. <laughs> we don't have to die. Uh, we don't have to go to hell. We don't have to be condemned because Jesus did it for us. He allows us to go free. And this means we can live a life of freedom. Let's talk more about that life. It's a cross-carrying life. It's a life of freedom. Because the the crucifixion happened 2,000 years ago, you may feel like it has little daily relevance to you. You know, maybe some of this feels like all like a big history lesson, like one more lecture. I, I sympathize with that. The Lord's Supper, each time we partake of that, remember what the, the minister says, uh, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. At least every time that we partake of the Lord's Supper, we should be reminded of that. But there should be daily significance to the cross of Christ. Um, For you pragmatists out there, this doesn't just mean a change of heart. It means a change of the way you live your life in terms of your habits, your schedule, your choices, everything. One of the most thrillingly difficult verses in the Gospels, and and I read this and was just blown away by it when I was um, right out of college, Um, and it truly did utterly change my life. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does this mean? Because Jesus gave up everything. He gave up his life. Because he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and descended into hell. There is nothing more to do for our redemption. It's complete. Like Jesus said on the cross, his last words, it is finished. It's done. But what it sets us free towards is a life where we become like Jesus. We become like who we were always meant to be. 
And if we are set free in order to become like Jesus, it has several implications for our life. It means your life choices are not your own, uh, but they're to be submitted to God's will. Uh, through prayer and seeking wisdom in God's word, your, your life's calling, your career, your academic choices, your relational choices, those aren't your own. Jesus has bought your entire life. And we are supposed to submit our entire lives. Not one square inch of our lives should not be submitted to him. And this takes time, it takes a lot of effort, and it's hard. Um, God gives us the power and the freedom to be able to do it. What else? It means that we give up our old life of sin. Uh, We deny that part of ourselves. We deny our sinful nature and we allow his desires to rule our life. It also means that we live sacrificially for others. It means that it perhaps that we give up comfort, fame, honor, so that others can be set free as well. We live a cross-shaped life. We take up our cross and follow Jesus. And what this also means, one of the implications as well, is a much more literal one. It means that you suffer and die like Jesus did. Many of the, the 12 uh, disciples in earshot of Jesus saying these words, take up your cross and follow me, took up their own cross, literally, and they were crucified at the end of their lives. The end of their careers ended like Jesus's in crucifixion or death. Why? Because they followed Jesus. Because they took up their cross and followed him. One of the things that this means is that persecution and suffering, because it was a part of Jesus's life, will be a part of ours. One thing that's true for every Christian everywhere is that our lives should look like Jesus's. Um, now, American Christianity is a, is a rare exception. It's an exception. Um, It's not the norm. Um, American Christians are able to have comfort and even power, places of power. And it might even indicate the sickness of the American church rather than its health. If you look at stories around the world in China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and many other countries, uh, there are places where people, if you're a Christian, you are imprisoned. Uh, You literally do suffer uh, physically, emotionally. You are mocked and you are scorned uh, by your neighbors and even your own family members only because you believe in Jesus and follow him. Uh, This is happening. If if you look it up on the internet, uh, the the stories are out there. This real fact that Christianity means inevitable suffering and persecution. Be careful. (laughs) Be careful to know what it means to be a Christian. It is not health and wealth. It is not prosperity in this life. It is becoming like Jesus. It is becoming like Jesus. Why is this so? We share in his sufferings because we share in his life. Why did Jesus die? 
Um, it says that Jesus, for the joy that his, was set before him, endured the cross. What was that joy? Why would it have been his, his joy to undergo such torment and suffering? Because he wanted to spend his eternity with you and me. We are that joy. You are that joy. It's one of, the Christian life is one of suffering, but it's also one of the deepest joy imaginable. This man, who never even met us in person, face to face, died for us. And he wants to spend the rest of his life all into eternity with us. Because we experience the same kind of suffering that Jesus did, we also will experience the same kind of exaltation. We're going to be talking about that in two weeks with the resurrection. Uh, There is glory that awaits. We have to keep that in front of us to endure and to persevere. I want to end with this um, worshipful, very old, ancient hymn called What Wondrous Love. What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul, oh, my soul, what wondrous love is this? I cause the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb, I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb, who is the great I am. While millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on. Through eternity, I'll sing on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give each of us just a, an awe at the wondrous love of Jesus, uh, your Son, who, who came to earth uh, to take on the punishment for our sin. Lord, this is a, a wondrous thing. Um, Lord, reveal this mystery to us. Reveal the truth of it to us in our daily lives. Lord, I pray that it would transform our daily lives, uh, that we would know what it means to take up our cross and follow you. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, just be each, with each one of these students here tonight. Uh, give them just a strong sense of that joy, of that love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.